Good morning. A couple weeks ago, we looked at, um, as we've been looking through the book of Ruth, we looked at Ruth herself in chapter one and what she had to teach us about how to love, especially as she made this incredible commitment, this, uh, this vow to stick with her mother-in-law, with Naomi, as they went back to Israel. And we're going to do something similar with Boaz this morning. As uh, we looked at chapter two last week, we're going to return to chapter two this week and look specifically at Boaz, this man that that comes into the lives of Ruth and Naomi um, as Ruth goes out to glean, um, to harvest, uh, according to the laws that Israel's given to, that care for those who are needy and who are poor, to, who are able to go out and harvest and pick up the leftover stuff in the fields and the stuff around the edges. And, and she happens to enter into Boaz's field, and God uses Boaz to provide for them and to show love to Ruth and Naomi. And, and so we're going to look specifically at how how um, Boaz teaches us what it means to love somebody. Um, again, because, as I said that other week, that's one of the things that we need most in this world is people who are better at loving people. And so we're going to focus mainly just on verses 8 to 16, which is where Boaz uh, actually talks uh, to Ruth and interacts with her after she comes to, to his field, after she stumbles upon his field <laughs> and, and encounters him. And, uh, and we're going to look at how he interacts with her and what he does for her to love her. Um, so listen to God's word as I read from Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 to 16. Um, this is after Boaz has seen Ruth, and now he speaks to her. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us. Uh, we, we ask that you would open our eyes, uh, that we would see your truth here, that we would see you here, that we would see ourselves more clearly, and that you would grow us now by the work of your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a trampoline in our backyard. 
And one of the things that our little kids love to do, our kids have always loved to do this, and, and is they, they get these lightweight rubber balls, and they put them in the trampoline, and they love to just get in there and bounce and just throw these things as hard as they can at one another and kick the balls so that they hit each other, you know, as, as hard as they can. And, and, and naturally, what happens is every 30 seconds or so, these balls are flying out of the trampoline into our yard. And the problem is if nobody goes and gets and gets the ball and just leaves it in the yard when they come in from playing, the ball ends up getting blown out into the neighborhood, never to be seen again. So, so this is the challenge for us, is, is, is getting the kids to take responsibility for going and getting the ball when they you know, knock it out, or when somebody else knocks it out. And, and it's hard to do this, because you know, they, ha- they have a million excuses. You know, I, I wasn't the one who threw it out. You know, I wasn't the only one playing with the ball. I, I might have thrown it, but it went off of his face and went in the yard. It, it's, it's not my responsibility to go, go get the ball. So unless you're, unless you're watching them like a hawk to tell them, all right, go get it, it's easy for them to look at you know, the, the whole process of getting the ball, the action of getting the ball as optional <laughs> and, and not as their responsibility. It's easy for them to be like, oh, somebody else will get it. I don't need to do it. You know? Um, you might say that a similar thing is true of our responsibility to love the people that God has put in our lives, the love, to love people around us that we come into contact with. Many of us treat opportunities to love some of the people in our lives as optional. If nobody's telling us to do it, if nobody's really paying attention to what we're doing, it's easy for us just to not love people as we should or to assume that it's somebody else's responsibility to love them. But what you see here in, especially these verses right here, as Boaz comes into the picture here, um, you see a man, Boaz, who is quick to take responsibility for loving Ruth. He doesn't hesitate. He is almost eager to do it as soon as he sees Ruth, right? He tells her, don't go anywhere else. Stay here. Stay in my field. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to take responsibility for you and for the provision, for God's provision for your life. I'm going to take responsibility. He's quick to do it. It's one of the first things that he says once he recognizes who Ruth is and how he's related to Naomi and everything. And um, he, he's just quick to take responsibility. So um, a, a, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Ruth and how she taught us that loving somebody means that, that you're going to accept limits on your life. It's going to be lonely. You have to link your love to something that lasts. This morning, we're going to look at a few things that Boaz, the way that he loves Ruth, teaches us how to love people. And so the first thing that it teaches us is that, that love notices. Love notices. It sees. When Boaz shows up, he immediately notices Ruth. We didn't read that part, but he re- immediately notices Ruth, and he asks, who's woman is this in the field, right? And then he asks about her, and then, and, then, and then tells her to stay in his field and glean, right, what I just read. And then in response, what does Ruth say to him? As she falls on her face, it says she fell on her face in verse 10, bowing to the ground, and she says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Why? Why have you noticed me at all, Boaz? Why have I found favor in your eyes? 
immediately, Ruth recognizes that Boaz has seen her. He has noticed her. Remember what her circumstance is. She's, she's a Moabite, you know, a foreigner, a widow that's, that's come back. She's an outsider that has come back to Israel. And, and not only is she an outsider and a foreigner, but she's from Moab, a country that Israelites tend to, you know, not think very much of, not like very much. And so the only th- thing she has to expect as she comes into Israel is for people to constantly overlook her, for people to ignore her, for people not to care about her, for people not to notice her. I mean, we actually saw that at the end of chapter one when, when the other women noticed Naomi and Ruth. Remember, they noticed Naomi, Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem. And, but what do the women do? They, they ignore Ruth altogether and just, they just talk to Naomi. And then even worse than that, to add insult to injury, the way that Naomi responds, even Naomi, the one that Ruth has been walking with this whole time, the one that Ruth is committed to, Naomi doesn't see Ruth. She's like, I went away full, I came back empty. Talking as if Ruth isn't even there. She isn't seen by anybody. But she's seen by Boaz. Boaz sees her. Boaz notices her. No matter what her status is, no matter how unworthy she might feel like she is because of the way other people have been treating her, Boaz sees her and notices her. He notices her as, 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 as somebody who's worthy, as somebody who's significant, as, as somebody who's valuable and who matters. He notices her as somebody who is in need, who needs somebody to, to, to take responsibility for, for caring for her. And that's the thing about love. Love begins with the eyes. It begins with seeing people around you. It begins with with recognizing them, seeing them as people who matter, people who have worth and significance, and seeing that they're people in need, that they may be struggling in different ways. That's how love begins. You cannot love people unless you see them. Um, our family's been, a few people in our family have been watching the new Disney series based on the Mighty Ducks movie back from the 90s. There's a new Disney series about uh, basically uh, the Mighty Ducks hockey team. This kid's hockey team has become this machine, this win-at-all-costs mentality invades you know, just the whole team and everything. And, and so this one kid gets cut from the team, and his mom is so upset about you know, how the team's been just like, all they care about is winning, all they care about is like being this incredible you know, machine and everything. She's like, I'm going to start a new team for my son. And they start a new team, and of course they have all these misfits that are gathered to be on this team who can hardly even play hockey, who can hardly even skate. And uh, she even has doubts about her coaching, but then somebody at one point gives her a pep talk in the last episode, and, and she's like, you're, you're right, I am a great coach. And so she shows up, and when she's on the verge of quitting, she's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to quit, I'm going to show up. I, I, I know what I'm doing, I can teach these kids something about being on a team and playing hockey. And she shows up, and she's like, I've got a new idea for us as they're out on the ice. She pulls out these blindfolds, and she's like, we're going to put blindfolds on today in practice, because we need to sense each other, you know? We need to feel where each other is on the ice and get used to where each other is without being able to see each other. And so they're like, okay. And so they all put blindfolds on. And you know what happens next? It's, it's just disastrous. You know, there's kids running into each other, tripping over each other, falling on top of each other. There's a kid like all the way at the other end of the ice, just kind of like waving his stick in the air, not even sure what he's doing. It's just a disaster. They, they cannot play 
unless they can see each other. Unless they can, unless they, it's, this isn't, you know, Star Wars where you can sense the force with the blindfold on. They, they, you have to be able to see the people that you're trying to love. You have to be able to, to see them as real people who are made in the image of God, who have real value and worth. You have to be able to, to notice people, the people around you, and, and their weaknesses and their needs. And this is the, the, the struggle for us is, you know, whether they're people that, that, that the, the people in our lives, whether they're, they're just people that we interact with, kind of strangers, you know, on, once in a while, they, it's easy for them to kind of like be shoved to the periphery of our lives, to kind of just kind of like move on with life without even seeing those people, you know, the person at the cash register or whatever, or a waiter in a, in a restaurant. But then, but then it's also a struggle for us to see people who are very close to us, the people that we, that we live with, the people that we spend a lot of time with, sometimes they can become just kind of part of the furniture of our life and we just don't even notice them because we're so used to them being there. But we need God to open our eyes to see if we want to love. It's important for us to notice the people around us. So love notices. Love, love also protects much of what Boaz does here is, is he, he's recognizing Ruth's vulnerability here, and he takes responsibility to protect her. Remember that this occurs during the time of the judges. Remember that the time of the judges, if you read the book of Judges, it reminds us over and over again that this is a time in Israel where everybody did whatever they wanted to do, whatever they thought was right. They did what was according to right, uh, what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. And as you read the book of Judges, as the book progresses, even towards the end of the book, there's some like, there's like major lawlessness and, and, and terrifying, horrifying things that are happening to women in that book. And so this is the atmosphere that Ruth and Naomi are, are coming into in Israel, a time of lawlessness, a time of danger, especially for women who don't have a man in their life to, to be connected with and, and, to, and to help give them protection. But this is one of the things that Boaz does. He recognizes that, that Ruth is in a very vulnerable place, a, a, a place where she needs someone to protect her. And that's one of the first things he tells her, right? Stay in this field. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Right? Commuting to, communicating to her that she is safe. She will be safe. He's got her back. And, and on top of that, what, what you see here is as, as he shares a meal with her, I mentioned this before, but, but in those days especially, when you shared a meal with someone, you were communicating that you were associating yourself with that person. You were connected with that person. You know, That's one of the reasons that as, as Jesus comes to the, to the well in Samaria and, and the woman's like, how can you possibly offer me a drink and associate yourself with me? But that's what Boaz, Boaz does as he invites her to eat. And as he gives her food and drink, he's associating himself with her and he's communicating to everybody who sees. If you mess with her, you mess with me because we are connected now. We're associated. I'm associating myself with this woman. And so he gives her protection. He recognizes her vulnerability. He recognizes how she is, is potentially in danger. And this is important for us to see that, that another aspect of love is thinking about one another's vulnerabilities. Seeking to do what we can to protect them. In other words, where we are vulnerable is where we need most to be loved. You know, 
and in some ways, it's, it's easy for us to kind of think about loving people as just kind of like, you know, generally caring for them or serving them or doing nice things for them or getting them nice things. But, but, but to really love someone is to, is to look for how they are vulnerable, where they are in danger of, of, of experiencing harm, whether it's physical or mental, emotional, spiritual, and saying, what can I do to help bring safety and security and protection for this person, whether it's a person that I am close to or a person that I don't even know that well. And again, this, this takes us noticing. It takes us seeing, really looking and evaluating. You know. So in order to love those around us, whether it's somebody that we live with, whether it's a, a friend, a spouse, those that we just run into on a daily basis, those in our church, um, we need to, we need, in order to love them, we need to, to, to look for their vulnerabilities. See, this is, the, this is the struggle for us. This is the problem for us. When we notice a place that somebody is vulnerable, sadly, we often use that as an opportunity to judge them or to critique them or to make myself feel better than them. But the reality is, is that, that each one another's vulnerabilities is, is actually the, the, the point, the place where we actually need to, to give greater effort to love them and to, and to protect them. So love notices, love protects. Lastly, love goes overboard. The last characteristic that I want to highlight is how Boaz goes above and beyond in his care for Ruth. There are a bunch of points here when he could have stopped doing stuff for her, and it, we, we would have still considered it loving. Um, we're going to find out more about how he's, he's related to Naomi, so he's considered a, a kinsman redeemer. There's laws in Israel about those who are related to, to family members who, who take responsibility for other family, you know, in, in certain situations to, to help them out of debt and to take care of them, things like that. But as you look at this passage, um, Boaz, you know, he does one thing. First, he takes responsibility. He says, stay in my field, don't go anywhere else. I'm going to take responsibility for you. If, 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 if he would have just done that, people could have said, oh man, look at Boaz doing this nice thing for, for Ruth and for Naomi to take responsibility for them. That's great. But then he, he takes responsibility to protect her. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell my men not to, you know, I'm going to go out of my way to tell my men not to touch you. You are safe. But then he doesn't stop there. Then he, he invites her to eat, to drink with his servants and and, and to provide food, to provide lunch for her, even to the point where she's satisfied and she has leftovers. And even at that point, you'd have been like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Like he, he did all this, and then he kept doing more. But, you know, we, we could have been like, that, that's awesome. But he doesn't stop there, right? He, he speaks kindly to her, as she points out in verse 13. He's, he comforts her in verse 13, and then even beyond that, he seems to tell her, uh, he, he, he gives the, his, his young men instructions in verse 15. Let her glean even among the sheaves. He's, he's even, seeming to communicate something that, to allow her to do something that maybe the other people aren't able to do. The other people who are coming and, and harvesting behind his workers, that he, he's allowing her to do something they're not. And he's going beyond what he'd done before. But even beyond that, in verse 16, he instructs his people, okay, even, you know, just pull some out and drop some for her so she gets more, so she gets enough. You know, like if you've ever been to one of our Easter egg hunts, 
There's some kids who just aren't as assertive as others, so that we make sure we have some people with big bass of Easter eggs, and we, and we walk around in front of those kids and just kind of like, you know, just drop it right in front of them so they can get it. Maybe we even drop it right in their hands, right? And that's kind of what Boaz is encouraging his people to do, you know, make sure she gets not just some, but plenty. You know, he doesn't stop loving her. He doesn't stop providing for her. He just goes on and on and on and on. And, and this is the thing. If we're to love those around us, it might be tempting because we are tired. It might be tempting because we think we have our own problems. We do have our own problems. It might be tempting because the people that we're trying to love are hard to love. And they might frustrate us. We might not feel like they're, they deserve our service or our care or our, um, uh, our protection or our love. So it might be tempting to think, okay, I'm just going to do enough to feel like I've loved them. I'm just going to do the bare minimum, you know. But love doesn't stop with the bare minimum. Love gives more. And then love gives more. And then love gives more. It doesn't calculate how much love to give based on what this person deserves or has earned or how, much, how many resources I even have. <laughs> love isn't calculating that. It's, it's just kind of giving and giving and giving and giving. That's what love does. It goes overboard. And so uh, this is a challenge to us, right? To, to actually notice the people around us, to, to, to assess what, where are they vulnerable and instead of attacking them, look to see how can I create a space where they are safe? Whether it's with my words, whether it's by, by praying, whether it's with my resources, whether it's with my, with my presence and my time. And, and, it's, and it's saying, I, I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep loving them and giving more. This is what love does. And, and, and so, I mean, as we look at this, we see this man, Boaz, who's, who's loving Ruth in such an exceptional way is this realistic? Uh, or is Boaz just this kind of exceptional person? At the very beginning, if you remember, we didn't read it today, but the very first verse of, of Ruth 2 talks about how there's this man named Boaz who is a man of valor. He's worthy. Is he just a really exceptional guy? You know, that, that, that is, you know, does things better than any of us are able to. <laughs> or is there something else to it? I would, I would argue there is something else to it. I, I, I would argue that, that Boaz's ability to love, the way that he is loving Ruth and Naomi by extension, the way that he's loving them, is a result of his understanding of who God is and his understanding of how God has loved him. That's, that's what's happening here. And, and it's, it's not absolutely clear, but I, I think you see a hint of that in verse 12, we looked at verse 12 last week. We're going to come back to verse 12 again, where Boaz says to Ruth, what does he say to her? He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz has this desire for God to do good to Ruth. He has this desire for God to, to heap rewards on Ruth, to heap kindness and love upon Ruth. He has this desire, and he expresses it, this wish, this kind of blessing that he gives to Ruth. 
But, but even as he speaks his blessing, what you see throughout this whole chapter is Boaz doing exactly what he desires God to be doing in her life, right? That's what we see here. Boaz is doing, Boaz is kind of answering his own prayer, if you will. His own desire for what he believes God should be doing, wants to be doing in Ruth's life. And, and I think that leads me to believe, that implies to me that, that Boaz sees himself really as an instrument of God. He sees himself in all that he's doing in Ruth's life as, as a, basically a, a, an outflow of his understanding of who God is and what he believes God wants to do in her life and, and what he believes God maybe has, where has he learned that? He's, he's experienced it himself in his own relationship with God. And so, so as he has gotten to know God, he now understands how to love other people. As he's gotten to know God's love, he understands. And it almost becomes something that is natural in his life. To love people by noticing them, by protecting them, by going overboard and caring for them. And I think this is, this is the bottom line. The, the way for us to, to become more loving people isn't to just be like, oh, I just got to try really hard to become more worthy like Boaz, more exceptional like Boaz. No, what we need to do, and it's simple, is get to know God better. Get to know how God has loved me better. How he has loved us better. Because the way that Boaz loves Ruth, again, just like how Ruth was a picture of, of God's love for Naomi, Boaz is a picture of God's love for Ruth, for us. Because this is how God loves. God is God who notices us. He's a God who notices us, no matter how unworthy we might feel like we are. God sees us, and he, and he, and he notices us. He says, you are valuable, you matter. He sees you. As you look through scripture, what do you see? You see a God who sees his people back in, in Exodus. That's the way that it's described, how, how God says, I've seen my people and I've come down to help them. As you look at Jesus, what is it? It says so often Jesus sees this person and his heart is moved and he helps them. So often Jesus, if, if, you, if you read the gospel, just notice how often it talks about Jesus looking and seeing people and having compassion on them. This is the way God loves. He notices us. He notices you. He sees you. And, and, and not only that, he's aware of your vulnerability. And, and that is, is what he has done in, in sending his son Jesus is, is to, to, to provide a place of safety, of protection for you in, in the place of your greatest vulnerability. Where are we most vulnerable? We're most vulnerable to our own sin to our own, the, the own, our own brokenness of our own hearts, the fact that, that, that we are so turned in upon ourselves, we're, we're so self-centered, that, that if left to ourselves, we will self-destruct, we will damage ourselves and those around us. And God sees us in our vulnerability, and he says, I'm going to provide a way for you to be safe. I'm going to pr provide a way for you to be protected from your own sin by sending my son that he might die for you, to pay for your sin so that you might come into my presence and know me and know my love. 
And God doesn't just stop at the, at the, the, the kind of the, the minimalist part of loving us. You know, he, he could have just sent Jesus to die for us and, and we would be forgiven. And that's, that, that would be amazing to, to have our, our slate kind of wiped clean in a sense. But he doesn't just stop there. He not only forgives us, but he says, I'm going to love you just as much as I love Jesus. I, I'm going to delight in you. I'm not going to just not pay you back for your sins. I'm going to adopt you as my children. And I'm going to love you. I'm going to pour out my love on you. I'm, I'm not just going to sustain you as you live your life. I'm going to give you gifts. Gifts that you're probably going to take for granted. And you have taken for granted. But I'm going to keep giving them to you. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to remind you with, with comfort and, and kind words that, that you are mine. And on top of that, I'm going to give you my spirit that's going to assure you of my presence and my love for you of your status of my beloved child. God doesn't just stop at the bare minimum. He keeps loving and he keeps pouring out every blessing in the heavenly realms upon those who take shelter in the shadow of his, in the shadow of his wings, those who receive his love. And so that's our challenge as we think about these challenging ways to love people in our lives, to, to notice them, to, to seek to find how they are vulnerable and to seek to protect them instead of hurting them, <laughs> to take responsibility for that, to, to, to continue loving and giving and giving and giving to people even though we're tired, even though we feel like they might not deserve it. How are we supposed to do this? Well, the way to do it is to think about, to meditate on how God has done it for us. Think about how he has rewarded us with his love and his grace, even though we haven't deserved it. So I encourage us to, to rest in, in how God has noticed you today, how he has loved you. And let that shape how you treat the people around you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning um, as we think about your love for us. Help us to uh, grasp the height and depth and width and breadth of your love. And Father, we pray that your love would shape our hearts just as it, it seems to have shaped Boaz's heart. That we would become people who love others in radical ways. People who stand out from this world in the way that we love and the way that we see those around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to God's word, let's take a moment to confess our sin. As we, in doing so, experience anew God's love for us, because he notices you. <laughs> he sees you. And he's provided for you in his grace. Let's, let's pray together using the prayer that's in the order of worship. It's also on the screen. So let's pray. Awesome and compassionate God, you have loved us with unfailing, self-giving mercy, but we have not loved you. You constantly call us, but we do not listen. You ask us to love, but we walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. God of grace, as you come to us in mercy, we repent and gratefully receive your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to confess our, our sins to you privately.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's continue to worship our Heavenly Father.